This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Tenakoto Katoa, no mai, harimai. Welcome in to episode 90 of Half Measures. The 80s were great, but we're in the 90s now, so it's time to swap out your big hair and your leg warmers for a shell suit and a bum bag. And uh, joining me is uh, a man whose fashion and haircut is always on point. It's Dan the Man. The 90s were a great time, Paul. Great music, great fashion, and I feel like a lot of that stuff's kind of been like come come back in vogue recently. I feel it's probably on its way out again, but anyway, it was a good time. It was a great time. Like growing up as a teenager in the nineties, right? We were pretty lucky with the, as you said, the, the Britpop, the music. Uh, so it was great TV. There was Euro ninety six. Yeah, you know, I appreciated that. Horrible fashion. Um, I think I had a horrific hairstyle for most of it, but I love the nineties. I don't think you truly appreciate it when you're in it. And I remember being in the 90s being like, oh, I love the music of the 80s. And it was like, you know, you go into your Spotify and you put on a, a 90s playlist today. Great times to be had. That's right. 1960s, 1990s, those were the two times for me that I think I would have been happy to to live through as a teenager. And I was lucky enough to have one of them. So that's not too bad, right? Indeed, indeed. Well, Dan, later on, we are going to be heading over to Montana for our review of the premiere of Yellowstone Season 4. We've got our Walking Dead as normal. We've got a Tom, Tom Hanks movie. There's lots going on. But first of all, what have you been watching? Well, a brief update before I get into my uh, viewing activity. Oh. Today, Paul, almost, in fact, more than 33 days later, my TV has been repaired. Oh, wow. So a month. it's been a month. It's too long. Well, what what is the first movie that's going to be watched on this new TV? I, I just don't even know. the The lounge in my house is a, a room I don't understand anymore. Like I've got, I, I've had no reason to go there for the last month, and so now to go back in there and turn the TV on, it's it's a wonderful time. That is brilliant. I feel like oh, I feel like it's going to be something real good as a as a first watch. I remember this because when we had our TV, which at the time felt like the the, the TV looked like the, the screen was just insane it was like this flowing river it was just so clear clear and i remember the first thing i put on was the the star wars blu-ray i was like i I need to really go to town on this that's a really good choice because so we've been using this like really really old um plasma tv um and we've had to like lie it on the floor because it lie against the wall because it's got no stand and this is real snobby but like once you've been once you've watched an oled tv with like pure black yeah watching a plasma tv it's like do you even know what black is like it's just all shades yeah, of gray right. and muddy brown like it's horrible it's 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 only one step forward from like a 14 inch ferguson tv that used to have in the dining room type thing when you said you you had to lie on the floor i thought you were just like stood over it or something i thought that was quite an experience uh indeed this feels like almost an episode of curb your enthusiasm in the making oh. in fact, in fact, life is like that at the moment there's so many ups and downs but um to kick us off so i've watched a little bit more of curb and so i've just watched the the second episode of season 11 uh i think i'm gonna have to go back paul i'm gonna have to go back and get really amongst us because i just i love everything about this show so much the episodes are so 
ridiculous. And I just love like just the small little niggles that build up in Larry David's life and just the things that grate him are the things that grate me. And it's just like, it, it, it's just wonderful. I know we have a very strict protocol on this podcast and I have to wait my turn, but I'm going to jump in because one of the things I've watched this week is KB Enthusiasm. But I have gone back to the start and I've only watched the first six episodes. So I've watched six episodes of season one. And just like you, everything you've just said, uh, I'm I'm disturbed, in fact, how much I can relate to Larry David. Uh, there are the, the simple things that he, he writes that he gets annoyed about. His his ability to do that, I can only think of like Ricky Gervais when he writes his about his character getting annoyed by real little things that are so sig- insignificant, right? But they all add up so good. He's so dislikable, and yet I relate to so much of his his reasoning and his contempt and lack of patience for people in general. It is you're absolutely right, and it's great to hear that. Obviously, season eleven is still as good, and for you, I guess you know that it starts off strong too. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, and I've probably seen those. I think I've seen the first season, and as, oh, okay. as I said last week, yeah, yeah. yeah, bits of the, but like random episodes over time. But I think I'm just going to start from the beginning and and go on the complete journey because I think there's going to be some good real long term jokes in this show, and I want to be a part of them. Yeah. Oh, I think there are for sure. I think, um, and I think it will be a slow burn as well. Like you know, eleven season is a lot to to, to sort of watch. And so for me, I think it's going to be great to know. I love knowing that there's so much ahead because at this stage it feels like it's like it's a never ending supply of Kirby enthusiasm. I can just keep watching. It's like it's never going to like it's like I've bought a box of like a thousand cream eggs and I don't have to worry how many I eat because they'll never run out and I'll never get sick of them. Yeah, no, so it's good. So um, I'm going to go back and watch some more. The other thing I've watched is a another show that's uh, just come back. So Dexter New Blood. So. Uh, this is dropping uh, week by week on Neon, much like uh, um, Yellowstone. And so uh, Dexter New Blood basically starts 10 years after the, the previous season finished. And what's quite good about it is, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of shade, a lot of dislike around sort of the final sort of season of Dexter and the, and the way the show ended. But I think... You know, time heals a lot of wounds, Paul. And this show has come in clutch straight away. It feels so good to be back with Dexter and his his dark passenger. And I think they they do some things that really pay homage uh, to some of the characters from the the earlier seasons. And I think it's it's just it's come together really well. And so there's only one episode out yet, so it's probably a little bit soon to get uh, super on the hype train. But it's. It's a great show. Dex is a great character. Um, it's interesting to see what a, I guess, a serial killer. He's sort of trying to be living this dormant life for the last sort of ten years, trying to, trying to keep the darkness at bay. And in this episode, he's slowly sort of starting to break and kind of go back to his old ways. But he's assumed a new identity, and there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff. So, if you're a Dexter fan, and I think you were maybe unhappy with how it ended, I definitely think this is worth giving it a go. And I also think this is like, so Samara watched this with me and she's watched no Dexter at all. Mm. And she was able to just come in and, and enjoy the show for what it was. And so it kind of gives you enough sort of context. And I actually see on uh, Neon and on uh, IMDb, they're actually calling this season one, episode one. So even though it's um, kind of a follow-on, it's kind of feels like a bit of a reset as well. Yeah, uh, that was exactly the first thing I was going to say to you is I noticed it's been listed under New Blood as a as a whole new thing. 
And I just had a look at that final episode that you were talking about, 4.6 out of 10. And given that this show, you know, overall was getting an 8.6 with over half a million votes, that's clearly a lot of, as you say, a lot of um, controversy and dislike for the for the finale. So it's good to hear that you can jump straight back in because I did, well, Dino and I both did watch like the first season or so, and it was good. And we found ourselves laughing a lot at things, you know, obviously given the nature of the show, maybe you shouldn't be laughing that much, but it is, it is really quite funny. Um, and so, do you know what? It's possible. It's possible. I may jump in there with you. Yeah, look, it's good. And I think it would equally be probably a good show once the whole season's dropped as well. Like it'd probably be quite a, a fun binge, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So if you're not busting to watch it, you know, save up a few episodes or save up the season and then get amongst it. But it's, you know, he's a, he's a pretty um, likable character because he kind of applies his talents to people that you don't like on, on screen. Right, so yeah. it's quite easy to get behind, which just sounds quite dark when I say it out loud. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely be watching more of that as it comes on. So that is Dexter New Blood on Neon. Cool. Um, and another TV show, I've started a lot of things, Paul, not a lot of finishing. So we've just started watching season two of C. You may remember I talked about that, mm. oh, God, quite a few episodes ago now. Yeah. So this is the Jason Momoa um, Apple TV show. Basically, it's a dystopian future. Everyone's born without, like, society's lost vision. And so they, they, they can no longer see. Everyone's born blind, but sighted children are starting to sort of and adults are starting to come back into the world and it's this season like like i see season one top tier for me mm. like all the guns are kimbo absolutely loved it couldn't speak more highly of it season two is just sort of growing that universe even bigger and i'm only about halfway through so i'm really intrigued to see um where they go with this but it's you know if this is the type of stuff that apple tv is going to invest in I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep my sub because it's it's just top quality. Hundred percent. Unless I'm mistaken, I seem to think you had C in your top ten TV shows for 2020 as well. So that's um, if you're saying or, or 2019, maybe it was because it was the first season of 2019. Sorry, if you're saying um, season two is growing on that, that's that's really high praise. That's I mean that's as good as it gets for me. If if you if you've got a show that you rate so highly for season one and season two is yeah, like it's like it's it's a really different show, right? Like it's it's kind of got a a huge universe type of concept to it because there's all these different like clans and there's kind of this um, intrigue between these who's going to take over and different sort of class systems in there and everyone trying to navigate the world while basically being blind and it's one of those shows where you're always kind of like, how are they doing this? Like, like their their movements look like you. Know, you would imagine someone who couldn't see moving and it's kind of these bits of it that are a bit kind of like ridiculous, but all in all, this show is so much fun. And I think Jason Momoa is fantastic in it. Awesome. It's fast, it's actually really fascinating when you talk about um, how, how are they doing this if, if they're blind? Cause I, I remember thinking exactly that with um, Donnie Yen's character in Rogue One uh, and thinking about that with um, Daredevil Um I do have one question and I don't, I hope it doesn't come across as insensitive, but how do they know if, if this is a dystopian society where everyone's blind and then a, a set of twins are born with sight? How, who, how do they know that the, the twin, these twins can see what's, how, how do they determine that? 
So there's there's kind of a prophecy in this um, whole series, and there's a guy um, who kind of apparently can see, and he kind of prophesizes that that site's returning, and these children are given to, um, I, without going into sort of too much detail. Jason Momoa's character looks after him. He's he's told that they can see, and then obviously they keep it a secret because if you can see in this world, you're basically considered a witch. <laughs> and um, and I guess vision vision is power, right? Like in a mm. world where everyone is blind, it really gives people a, a bit of a one up. And so what kind of starts to happen in season two is there's a few more kind of sighted people appear, but often they they keep it kind of hidden. And I think much like. Um, like Daredevil is probably a good example, they really actually sort of hammer home the point that when you've lost your vision, your other senses become so much more in tune. Like mm. you can hear kind of, you hear heartbeats, you hear footsteps, you hear breathing. Whereas I think when, you, when you've when you got vision, those things are, are far less important to you. Fascinating. Fascinating show. Love the sound of it. Yeah, no, it's good. And apart from the things that we've watched together, that is me for this week. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, Kirby enthusiasm, we've already talked about, um, that I can see cropping up week to week. Um, the only other thing I was going to add in, Dan, to what you talked about with, uh, Larry Davis portrayal, I don't know about what you've spotted in season 11 so far, but it feels to me whenever he smiles in scenes, when there's something going on and he's like laughing or smiling, it feels like it's real. It feels almost like it's a relief for him that he's been trying not to crack up the whole time. And it just feels really, really honest when he is laughing in a scene. It's just something I've picked up on and I, I made a note of it. I haven't, um, like, this isn't based on any fact, being the Half Measures podcast, but I actually think the way they record or the way they film a lot of those episodes is it's it's quite off the cuff. Like they don't use a lot of sort of yeah. scripting and there's obviously lots of different takes. And I, and I think the the cast, I imagine, is having a lot of fun as they kind of explore different story pathways. All the best shows are unscripted, Dan. We know that. Indeed. Um, so on to what I've been watching. Continuing the James Bond movie rewatch this week was 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, James Bond woos a mob boss daughter and goes undercover to uncover the true reason for Blofeld's allergy research in the Swiss Alps. Um, you know how you've been really, uh, you've been really appreciating your your rewatch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, in timeline order and how you sort of like you're sort of saying that you appreciate these movies even more this 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 is a movie within the bond franchise that that really falls into that category for me it's so this is the one with george lazenby and it's always oh that's the george lazenby one and i guess it kind of always has stood out by itself it's, it's maybe it's overlooked because people talk about going from connery to to more and on her, her majesty's secret services sort of often gets overlooked but Kind of like with the, the the Terminator rewatch I just did recently, seeing this as part of a series of movies, this movie was absolutely fantastic to watch. And I I feel like there's something very different about the style of this movie to all of the previous five Bond movies. And I don't necessarily even think it's because they've changed the actor playing James Bond, but it's 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 got its own style. It's got a great soundtrack, as I mentioned last week with You Only Live Twice. This this one has probably one of the best 
Bond themes, you know, Louis Armstrong's We Have All the Time in the World and the the main John Barry theme music. It is absolutely superb. And if you were ever to jump into a Bond movie just randomly, I would say give this one a go. That's um that's a, a, a good shout. Because I think it is a little bit it is jarring, isn't it? Like um from a, an outsider in perspective you know, they sort of hear you talking about Sean Connery all this time, and then all of a sudden, oh, God, we're at George Lazenby. Like, yeah. it, it, it threw me. It, and it's – look, I think he, I think he's fine. I think his voice isn't quite on there for me. And, of course, such a big part of the Connery role was, of course, the voice. But overall, I actually think he does – right, I kind of feel sorry for him that he doesn't get a, a second crack at um, at this as well. And we've, we've talked about other Bond movies that have – you know, sad endings. This is 100% one of the top. Yeah, it's one of the top two saddest endings in Bond history. It's been well documented. It's really a real poignant sort of moment. And and so it's really sad because it's literally the final scene that's really sad. And and then, of course, he's gone. And I, at that point, I was like, kind of like, oh, I feel like this guy deserved a deserved another shout. But um, it's not with that. It's negatives there's this really weird moment really early into the movie where he he breaks the fourth wall and he looks directly at the camera and he says this never happened to the other guy and i really didn't like that at all because it really took me out of the moment it drew attention to the fact that he'd replaced connery and that he he was in a movie it was very odd but it i thought it was worth mentioning anyway that, that is bizarre. It's kind of, that sounds very sort of Deadpool-esque, doesn't it? Yeah. Like having that sort of fourth wall broken. It's funny, like, because he's actually still kicking around doing mm. some movies, which is absolutely fascinating. He's not a young man anymore. No, he's not. But, yeah, you know, you're quite right. He is still making stuff. And um, he's, yeah, whenever you sort of see the bond, when they put all the bonds together in a poster, people always go, who's that? And <laughs> if it's not Timothy Delson, it's always George Lazenby. But, um, yeah. And uh, I, I, he's kind of got a bit of a Maxwell Smart vibe to me. Like, yes. I don't recall seeing this movie, but just looking at his uh, his pictures online, I, I can see Maxwell Smart. Oh, look, I, look! now that you've said it, I will. But I, I sort of talked about the voice wasn't quite right. There is a certain look that's just, yeah, it's it's got an element of comedy about it. And that kind of, actually, there's some parts in the movies which are a little, there's a little bit strange with like hypnotism and, you know, like, when I read the synopsis, you know, sort of like looking into allergy research and people being cured by Blofeld. Blofeld is the villain again with Spectre, played by now. This is the third different actor to play Blofeld. This is um, Telly Savalas, um, who I last talked about when I reviewed The Diamond Mercenaries. Um, so there's a few weird moments in there like I've talked about, but great rewatch. It's one of those movies where and I know it sounds cliche, but the action is centered around the story rather than the other way around. And that's for me always I'm finding is what I'm really appreciating about the Bond movies that that do that. And the other thing, to give it a, a bit of another compliment, as I was watching it, I actually thought to myself, I wonder what it would be like, what the original novels, the Ian Fleming novels are like to read. And it's kind of inspired me to maybe go looking for them. And I've, that's, I've never come out of a Bond movie thinking that before, but... I feel like because I wasn't so sure on his look and voice that I thought, I wonder if I was to read that book and in my mind imagine it's Connery. I know that sounds weird, but that's how I I felt it might work. 
No, I think that that's a, a great summary, right? Because if you read those books, you can have whatever James Bond you want. You can have Daniel Craig if you want for the entire series. That's dealer's choice. Funny you say that. Did you ever play the... You remember Goldeneye that came out on the the old classic Nintendo 64 and, all, and then they did the re-release, but they had Daniel Craig play the part of Bond in the Goldeneye story. It was the most peculiar thing. Um, Weird choice. Yeah. But anyway, so that's... Um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I would be giving that three guns. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. My 12-year-old son, he really enjoyed it as well. He said it was the best music of all the Bonds so far as well. So that's a pretty good shout-out for a 12-year-old. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you about, Dan, and I'm very, very excited about this. I know I said the same thing last week um, with Ted Lasso, but I would go so far as saying that this is quite possibly quite possibly the best television show I've watched this year. And here we are in November. So that is a big call. Once again, I do have to thank the almighty Apple. Um, because just like Ted Lasso, this platform has gone one better for all mankind. This is an astonishing show. It's This is all about an alternate history uh, depicting the Soviet Union getting to the moon before the Americans. And and that, that's literally the premise with the, you know, the space race continues on for, for decades with, you know, even bigger sort of challenges and, and, uh, and goals. And I don't really know where to start, but it really drew me in. And it's, it is literally one of those, I know, again, it sounds cliche, but when people say, oh, we just want to watch one more episode, it was like that. It's like, if I didn't have to go to work in the morning, I feel like I would have been up all night. It was just so bingeable is this one that's been on your radar at all Dan it's funny you say that because I, I've obviously heard of for all mankind it's always sort of shown up as a apple tile but until you like I knew nothing about the plot and you've instantly piqued my interest like just I, I love that whole sort of Soviet Soviet era not I'm instantly interested it's funny as well of course watching the Bond movies with sort of that that sort of same sort of time because obviously set in the 60s um, and to be fair, it shouldn't really surprise me that I, that I like this because it's written by Ronald D. Moore, who is one of my all-time favorite TV writers. He's you know he started with across three different Star Trek series, made a name for himself there. Then, of course, probably his greatest hit of all time, Battlestar Galactica: The Reimagined series in two thousand four. So it doesn't surprise me that the story and the production all feels all feels good. It's so up my alley. It's I feel like because you and I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about shows that where the writer's room is just an absolute mess and we might get to that later. Um, but it's like this show, they called me into the writer's room and tested ideas and storylines with me and I don't think I would have asked for much more. I feel like this is this is just perfect. And funnily enough, I had two people highly recommend it to me, but independently they both said to me virtually the same thing, which was hang in there for the first few episodes. You know, oh, it starts off really slow. And so in my mind, I was thinking about how, you know, how we said when we watched the first few episodes of Yellowstone season one, and that sort of started off slow and that show really delivered. Well, this, this is exactly what happens here. But the funny thing is, is I don't think the pace was too slow at all. And yet to qualify that, I will tell you that the pace is very slow. And I love that. And I think that's one of those other things that I often talk about that really appealed to me. It's um, for this kind of show, it's really taking time to deal with um, the, uh, I guess the what would what would the impact be? Imagine our world. What would the impact have been on the Americans if they had lost the space race, and and how would they react? And so we see this this um, 
this alternative history just play out and it's it's over months and years over the significance of this one you know well i'll say one simple act obviously landing on the moon is not simple but this one thing actually changes so much more than we might have thought it might and it's it is beautiful it's 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 visually like gravity interstellar at that sort of level from a movie point of view visually stunning as well and so have you finished season one have you or have you just just started? yeah no good question so good cool so um season one i've watched i've only watched season one at this point which came out in 2019 i've got season two sitting there actually waiting to watch and i kind of feel like i don't I want to save it. I feel like I don't want it all to be gone, um, which is how I feel about when I'm, you know, when I'm rewatching Better, uh, Better Call Saul. Um, so if I'm mentioning that show alongside this, that's an indication of how much I, I rate it. Um, but yes, yeah, season three is on its way as well. So I think maybe once season three comes close to dropping, I might dive back into season two, unless I just can't help myself on a dive in next week. Who knows? But um, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. This has been sitting right under my nose this whole time. And for whatever reason, I just, I haven't lifted up the rock. Yeah. So thank you for bringing this to my attention. I'll guarantee to you and to anyone listening, I'm I'm doing my classic Kanawa, which is the oversell, because this really speaks to me and it really resonates with me. Then that sets the expectations based on my review. But the, honestly, writing, pacing, production, the visuals, the cast as well. Okay, so I haven't even talked about the cast. So the two lead actors are both great. Joel Killerman, uh, who we know from Suicide Squad and House of Cards, he's great. The other lead is New Zealand actor uh, Michael Dorman. Uh, he, he's brilliant as this guy Gordo. And then, yeah, Sarah Jones from Alcatraz. Um, uh, what do we got? Uh, Chantel Van Santen from, she's from, you might know her from The Boys. Uh, Sonia Wilger from Lost. There's, there's heaps of uh, great cast in there. And it's, um, yeah, this this is for me. And I am now, I, I was grateful last week that the Apple allowed us Android folk to watch this so I could see Ted Lasso. I, I, I place this enjoyment that I had from this above Ted Lasso, and I wouldn't think I'd be saying that given how much I love Ted. Wow, that's a – Jesus, this is good. This is good. I'm interested. Yeah. So that is what I've been watching this week, other than the stuff we have, um, we've watched together, Dan. Well, shall we move on over to yours and mine favorite topic, The Walking Dead World Beyond? From – Possibly the greatest show I've watched this year to The World Beyond Season 2, Episode 6, Who Are You? Uh, Felix will make a discovery that will change everything. Meanwhile, Huck is in a predicament and needs to choose sides. Dan? Let me tell you what I appreciated. Slash. There is no slash. Okay, so... (laughs) interesting seeing Jadis again right like I've never been a big Jadis fan um, from the original Walking Dead but I appreciated how they tried to sort of wrap up that storyline in a few lines of dialogue and we kind of got some clues as sort of to the timeline so you know six years ago I wanted to start my own society Um, the way that I empowered them was I gave them their own language which is one of the most frustrating things about her people in that TV show 100% then her talking about, you know, she made alliances with the wrong person and then but um then she she secured a place in the Commonwealth by offering up a, you know, a pretty great asset, which is obviously Rick Grimes. And I think that in itself kind of got me a little bit like, Oh yeah, Rick Grimes. <laughs> um but Janus annoying. 
And even the fact that she's kind of like, you know, you were my boss, huh? And now I'm coming to investigate you. It was just kind of like, Ugh. and look, same same old um, flogging a dead horse for me, Paul. You've got four episodes left. You you better start pulling the sort of the threads of this all together. The way the way Huck and Jada's talk to each other really bothered me. The body language, the the the, the manner of the dialogue, it felt very forced and awkward and i think they're both fine actresses but i just think the characters uh have been written poorly and given bad dialogue it's um i feel like you're right i feel like i'm concerned that the highlight of this entire two season series so far is jadis as you say largely a disliked character from the walking dead turning back up with a worse hairstyle than she had before and referencing the fact that um, you know, she gave Rick Grimes to the CRM, and and you know, if you're not listening carefully, you might even miss that because it's kind of it's not it's not explicit, right? It's just as you say, it's sort of implied. I did really, I found myself really interested in that. I found myself really thinking and what was happening and what might happen next and i found myself really paying attention and when i say that out loud that sounds terrible because that's not something you should have to say about a tv show that you're choosing to watch in your own free time for enjoyment that you're oh i found myself actually paying attention i think too what's you know just talking about that that huck jadis relationship huck is the daughter of the commander of that whole base huck needs to walk around with a bit of mana and a bit of like Actually, I'm not going to come across like I'm a bit weak and I'm a bit soft. Like she, like she's virtually giving up the game just in the way that she's acting, especially because she's talked about as some great soldier. Um, yeah, and I, I think one of the other challenges, oh God, they're endless. But one of the other challenges is, you know, Felix goes off and finds a vial of green um, pathogen. There's this kind of this love romance relationship playing out with the dad and the other doctor and it's like oh he's gonna have to take a knife to protect himself but she just wants to sit down outside and have a conversation about what how her origin story like cool like we've always said if this was a 10 season show cool go go ham on those stories this is a two season show and i literally couldn't care less about your backstory we've already got these main characters who we haven't actually brought together in a good way. Like, and I, I just don't even really know where this is going to end, right? Like, because is it about bringing down the CRM? I don't really feel like it is. Um, and, you know, all things considered, the CRM is actually keeping all of these people safe. It, you know, they're obviously doing some terrible stuff at the same time, but like, what's the alternative right now? Yeah, no, the CRM is looking pretty good. And just to not crossing the timelines, but compared to what we see in The Walking Dead, or Fear the Walking Dead, give or take Strand's Tower, this feels like a pretty decent gig, right? And so I no, I think you're right. I mean, the whole, we haven't got 10 seasons. Um, there's so many things we say each week. I feel like if this was the House of Commons, you know when politicians get asked a question and if they've answered it before, they'll say things like, I refer the honourable gentleman to the answer I gave some moments ago. I feel like we could be saying that about what we've said in previous podcasts. I still don't care about the Iris Hope story. The Elton story doesn't interest me. The days of him being that character that I really enjoyed feels ages ago. He's not got a story of any consequence. But as I said, I was interested in the whole Jada story. I found myself feeling a little bit tense when Felix was trapped inside the freezer room. I thought that was that was all right. There was that sort of there was that tension with Hope's dad with the scientist lady. You know, like I wasn't sure what's going to happen there. But then they just ruin it with things like. And again, I feel sorry because Iris. Um, I, 
Iris for me feels like a character who who should be leading this this show, and Aaliyah Royale is is a very talented actress. But when she goes on the rant about testing on animals, like I am against testing on animals as well. But Dan, this is a zombie apocalypse. Now is not the time, and I just question where we're going with some of that. I feel like everyone just needs to be cool, right? Like you guys are trying to hatch a plan. You're not trying to start beefs with people. Like this is like literally like more than half of the world is turned into like zombies like this this really isn't the the biggest concern right now i feel like this show needs Look, a character like rip from the yellowstone and i don't want to cross over into that show right now but i feel like they need a they need a character like that just to come in and sort of a lot of people like i think that's probably a solution for most of these shows right like what would rip and beth do because that that would really bring some 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 focus it it's kind of I'm looking forward to the show ending, Paul. Like, because I feel like it's. I'm. I'm. I'm so sick of talking about all the the negative things about it, and like, just yeah. because it's they're just the same every week, and it's like you've got something good, but you could you just could be better. No, hundred percent agree. Let's um let's let's leave it there before we lose any listeners. Uh, we go with Fear the Walking Dead. Um, we're on to uh, season seven, episode four. Breathe with me is the episode title, and. If, Against the advice of the group, Sarah searches for Wendell and in the process encounters a dangerous survivor who forces her to take part in a search of his own. Um, I'll just jump in and say I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I I really, I quite like the way, you know, we're getting these episodes where um, they're sort of focusing in on just a couple of specific characters we've had, you know, over the last three episodes of the season. And now this time we've got Sarah, which I thought was, was good because she's a pretty cool character. And I don't think we've actually spent that much specific attention on just her in a previous episode that I can recall. And I, and I thought the power of the story with her searching for Wendell, uh, was, was, was a really good, uh, mechanism to drive the story forward and bring in some other characters as well. Yeah, look, I agree. This was a, another good episode, and, and you're right. Like we don't we don't know a lot about Sarah apart from some service stuff. And I think what this episode did well was we not only got Sarah, but we actually got you know half a dozen of the other team as well. We got Daniel and Co. and Ali, uh, and and it was good just to kind of even though the episode wasn't about them, it was good just kind of to touch base to know that they were okay, and that you know by the end of the episode we know that Morgan and Morgan's going to go back and they're going to try to sort of reconnect everyone I think the only thing for me is I was a little bit hazy Paul and you're, you're probably going to call me out on this around who like why has this guy got this beef with Morgan like who how does that guy fit into it yeah so the guy's brother um so mm. that's going all the way back to the start of season six um and I, I'll be honest with you, I too am shady on exactly what happened. I remember those two having a clash of some sort. I don't remember the details of it. And um, I feel like if we were watch, if this was a show that we binge watched, you know, seasons one to 10 all the way through, it would make crystal, crystal clear sense. So that's just, that, that is on us, right? I, in saying that, like, I sort of, I, I felt vaguely familiar, but not super familiar, but I appreciated that we also got a new, a new person in the group. Mm. And I enjoyed that this new person has a very specific set of skills that they're kind of good at search and rescue. One, um, one minus for me, 
They killed the dog, Paul. <laughs> no killing the dogs. Two weeks in a on row. On the shows that I watch. Two weeks in a row. I'm not about it. I was um, morbidly fascinated when the dog got bit. And also hilarious how that occurred with a head that he's been carrying around in the box. It's his own stupid fault. Um, but I was kind of fascinated. That he had a car crash with. <laughs> yeah. like I, was, I was convinced that he was going to be rolling around the car and bite someone. <laughs> if you're going to carry it around, at least you know keep it in a locked box. Um I was fascinated. What happens to animals once they get bit by walkers? Do, do, the, do we get like a you know like in other movies we've seen like zombie dogs and things? I was like, are we going to get it? But no, that didn't happen. Thank goodness. That, Thank that goodness. would have been something. It, it makes me nervous, right? Because I feel like I also don't want Daryl's dog to die in Core Walking Dead, and Daryl's dog's also always in high risk situations. But it's they can't do it. It's too much for me. It says something, and I don't know if it's just the, the love that humans have for dogs or, or what, but sometimes in things we've been watching recently, the, the, the death of the dog is more powerful than some of the, the, the characters themselves passing. I mean, I, I don't know whether that's down to the writing or down to, as I say, just the, the love of dogs. I don't know. The, um, the other thing I was going to say was um, I was really glad that Wendell appears to although we haven't seen him but is 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 given that he survives um because i feel like he's another one of those good characters in fear the walking dead who again we haven't seen that much screen time of like you i enjoyed seeing daniel um al and luciana we so we still haven't seen dwight sherry and alicia of course and you know we keep talking about alicia and i and i know we've mentioned that we've asked this question on a previous podcast episode but What's going on behind the scenes? Like, is there some, is there some beef going on between Alicia Debnan and Kerry, who who plays Alicia, um, and the producers and the showrunners? I I really don't know because it seems like, as you've said, she is a, a like a, a a lead actress. She's one of the big stars, and we're, we're getting very little screen time. It's odd. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we didn't. I was sort of talking to Samara about Fear the Walking Dead and kind of the, the journey the show's been on the other day. And it's such a different show, isn't it, from – because she was sort of asking, you know, where's Fear the Walking Dead set compared to World Beyond? Yeah. And just sort of it got me just thinking about Alicia's brother and, you know, just um, all, all of that sort of like core original cast right at the start of the outbreak. And now that we've kind of got these timelines a little bit synced and we don't – you know, World Beyond's kind of in there or not, not too distant future and it, it's really – interesting isn't it it is and what i'm i mean i've said for a couple of seasons that this has been my my favorite wing dead what's made this one i don't know if I want to say even more interesting but it's certainly made it more complicated is how that landscape has changed from not just a zombie apocalypse but also a, a nuclear fallout zone and and i think i was very intrigued by the ending with those guys who figured it was a good idea to put the leaking nuclear warhead in the back of their ute i mean i've got a lot of questions about that those guys remind me of some sort of like Star Wars off-world um, scrap harvester. Yeah. Um, just Because their costumes are kind of like sort of semi-terrifying, right? Because they look real post-apocalyptic and it's kind of just like cut up raincoats and goggles and stuff. Um, and they, they're kind of a, an interesting threat, right? Because because you don't often see their faces, they become quite disposable. Um, I think the other thing that I really appreciated in this episode is when um, they've arrived at Strand's um, apartment and Strand comes out and he's like, yeah, we can let Wendell out, but it's not a revolving door. Like, you know, and I, I appreciated his stance on this, right? Like he may be a bit of a jerk and he's probably ultimately heading towards a demise at some point, but I appreciated that, that rule, you know, it's yeah. not, you know, 
you're in, you're in or you're out. No, I, I appreciate that as well. I thought that whole scene was, I really enjoyed it. That sort of mini sort of standoff that we had with him. I thought that was, um, it was, it was quite good that we got that first face to face out of the way. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a weird because he's obviously being, as you say, a bit of a jerk, but he's finding a way to survive and he's, he, he is letting people in who are prepared to add value or what he perceives to be value. I'm also, in, I'm very intrigued about Howard. So, um, cause it's like Howard's really become his right hand man and he's kind of, he's out there doing missions. He's, he's kind of like a little mini commando. He's like a soldier, but I feel like when Howard and uh, Strand first met, it was like, I, I didn't get that sense that that was going to be their relationship, yeah. but like, I'm kind of in, intrigued in, in what kind of happened up to this point to a have Strand walking around in a civil war uniform and then Howard becoming his two IC. Yeah, it is fascinating. Which I would have thought is, is Howard's house to be honest. Correct. No, it should be right. And so I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't know either. And maybe he's given that he plays that doctor in the Mandalorian. Maybe he, he could, Maybe he knows about the, the the two guys still in the warhead as well. Maybe it's a little mm. side story there. But he's in a, he's a fascinating character. He's got a great look, and I am going to predict that it's going to be someone like him that's going to turn on on Strand and and to, to Strand's demise, and will wind up being Team Morgan or something like that. Well, it's interesting, right? Because we don't really have a big threat right now in this season. So, no. like, like is, is Strand a threat, or is it just actually the the world is the threat because of the nuclear fallout? Um, look, it's it's good, and I think it's good that we've got good Walking Dead to go with our not so good Walking Dead. It is, it is indeed, and yeah, season season seven now is is this yeah this was a solid a solid episode. Um, I feel like we can still go up a few gears. I feel like we've obviously got a few, you know at least three or four or at least three characters to, to bring back and so i'm fascinated to see where they go next and you've made a really good observation there about the fact that there isn't a specific threat beyond the zombies and beyond the nuclear fallout it's it's it's, it's a weird time because there's normally always at least one one villain or faction or gang or something right mm, indeed indeed that's good i'm looking forward to um who we get next week yeah, I reckon surely it's Dwight and Sherry. They've they'll be next up. Surely. Everyone's favourite couple. Correct. Well, Paul, shall we talk about one of the hottest TV shows, I think, since Breaking Bad, since Better Call Soul. Like this this is a number one TV show, which I think probably largely down to the audience of the Half Mishes podcast, is quickly becoming one of the most talked about tv shows on the internet it really is it's it's i feel lucky that i discovered it when i did and that was after you started talking about it on this podcast and we're talking of course about yellowstone uh, about a, a a ranching family in montana who faces a, off against anyone encroaching on their land um i would say Obviously, with the season four premiere, we're going to be talking full spoilers. So if you've only seen the first three seasons, then you definitely want to stop listening at this point. And if you if you haven't seen it at all, I would actually recommend just just stopping right now and, and, and going and watching this show. Because you're right, Dan, it is the sort of show you would talk about alongside the likes of Breaking Bad. It is, it is that high. It is, look, let's get into this 
season four premiere. What a what an incredible start to a season after what was a really really tense season three finale, and we just didn't know who was going to die and who was going to live. Well, that's right, right. So the whole the whole Dutton family is un- under siege when season three ends, and there's just so many clutch moments in this TV show. <clears throat> And I think, you know, good examples are, you know, we think John Dutton's on this door. He manages to, like, write a note in the concrete. Seeing Casey spring into action, like, it's such a cool moment, Paul. Like, if ever, you know, just flip up your desk, people come busting in your office with guns, you chase them out the door, you put on your bulletproof vest that says livestock agent, and that... And that small town, Paul, that, that gives you a James Bond license to kill. Because all of a sudden, you're not just using a pistol, you're using like an AR-15, you're using a machine gun, you're just taking out people. And then the manhunt that starts when they start chasing down that van, and then like, I'm I'm like, are you sure that's the van? And Casey's just like, it's the van, and he's like, he smashes into it, then there's more shooting, and then we cut to other scenes back on the ranch, like it, it's all go. My heart was racing, I absolutely loved it. So, so good. So much adrenaline, so much tension. And you're right about the van because I had the same thought. Like, if you happen to be out on that road in a blue tone, blue two tone van for a, a Sunday afternoon drive, you're in trouble that day because Casey was not messing around. And, um, you know, so, the, so the, the big surprise, of course, was that they didn't kill anyone off. And then what I thought was going to happen, you know, when we saw Beth, we saw Casey, we saw um, John Dudden, we're all fine. I thought, Casey's going to go off seeking revenge and in the process of doing so that's how he's going to die and that's how they're going to get their death so but it didn't happen and um it was fascinating and even Jimmy lived which is great well it's um it's interesting right because I think they really played with our emotions throughout the whole episode and even a little bit into season two where like we haven't seen Casey's wife again yet and obviously nothing's happened or but it's like I feel like they had like this intense action scenes and then these big kind of like scenes where they wouldn't reference any of the family or, you know, John would be like, no one's told me what's happened. Like, what's happened? Are we whole? And they'd be like, it's, it's too much it's too much to talk about. Like, And it's like you just didn't know. Did someone not make it? Yeah, that it's interesting actually because by about the third time that someone said, oh, look, um, now's not the time. I was like, it was obvious what they were trying to do. We, we were – we were seeing everything through Don, John Dutton's eyes. We we didn't know. And the longer it went on, the more and more I was convinced that everyone lived because I just I just feel like if someone had had passed, if then they would not have held that bet from from John Dutton for that line for that long sorry. So I let's just say I was surprised because when we had that many people in, in jeopardy, that to me smelt of someone's gonna someone's going to cack it and so for them to twist it around into no one did in itself was a a big surprise i didn't expect it to be john dutton because you know kevin costner is is the is the big is the big star and he was never gonna you know he's the heartbeat of this whole story so i guess i probably thought it was going to be either beth or casey that were going to be it. and i guess if i had the choice i was probably thinking i'll oh, Maybe it's going to be Beth because I, th- I think sometimes the writers maybe go a little too extreme with her. But everyone's there, and all I want to see is more of Rip taking care of business like he did with Brooke and that snake. Dan, I feel like I can imagine you moving to Montana. I really can. 
I, I'm ready to move there. As soon as those waters open, Paul, I'm there. Like that, <laughs> that's my destination of choice. I need to go there. I, it's everything I've ever wanted. I think, um, it's interesting with Beth, right? Because I remember in the first sort of season, maybe second season being like, ugh, Beth is not for me. Like she's like, like a real like rattlesnake, right? But she has become one of my favorite characters. And I actually thought if they were going to kill someone off, like, maybe they would have actually killed off Kevin Costner because like, there's enough interesting characters that the show could have gone forth with a whole new sort of how do we keep this legacy alive. Or they could have gone someone like maybe Casey. But in saying that, he's kind of like the the prodigy son yeah. of the this, this whole situation. So I think he would be a tough ask. But one thing, again, now you sent me a here's a five-minute um, recap of Yellowstone yeah. that you should watch. And I never watched of it. Of course you did. It was half measures. Classic. Remind me, Paul, because I'm a little bit confused. I can't believe I have to ask this on here. It's going to be embarrassing because here I am preaching about this show and I've forgotten the detail and I'm not going to use Google. I want I want you to remedy this for me. <laughs> so so when it's all going down on, on the ranch, like those cowboys are like hanging people, like they're shooting people. It's bloody like Jimmy's like he's wasted on the ground. But what, so what happened to Jimmy? Was Jimmy attacked or no. was – like, and so that he wasn't no, and, and so that's why, as they showed in the recap video, which I specifically chose for you because it was five minutes long and all the others were 15 minutes, so well played. Um, they specifically referenced the fact that Jimmy was in the in in the ranch messing about back rodeoing again after Dutton had said to him specifically, <sighs> Jimmy, no more. And, and that was why when he came back and he was like, I told you no more, and you let me down, you're out, you know. Much like yourself, Dan, it's kind of like you give people a chance. If they mess it up, that's it. They're gone. Um, that that was the Jimmy story. So, um, yeah, that was uh, – it's interesting to see what's going to happen with, with Jimmy now because he's obviously been put into the the kind hands of Rip and that, <laughs> that could be pretty harsh, I imagine. Indeed, indeed. Oh, that's, I thought that was the case. I just couldn't quite recall just because that was kind of happening at the same yeah. time. Um, all the drama was going down on the ranch. It was great just to see all the characters again. Though. Great to see all the cowboys. Great oh, to yeah. sort of just like just connect with them all again. In fact, my only criticism would be is there were so many cowboys and, and so many new faces that I felt like we didn't get to have enough bent between the you know the the core cowboys. Yeah, no, I did see like quite a few new faces as well, and I thought, well, we don't need that because, like you, I I'd, I'd not realised how much I'd just missed the little things like seeing Lloyd and, and Walker and Ryan in the bunkhouse, and they weren't necessarily doing anything overly important. I just, I just loved all, as you say, that sort of banter that goes on between them. Uh, so that that was interesting that they chose to do that. My my main criticism, this is just simply uh, uh, the character's writing. So John D- John Dutton is a stubborn man and he stresses me out not following medical advice after he basically nearly died. He's not staying home. I've said before how much I like him, but I feel like if I met him in real life, I just don't think we'd get on. He needs to stay in uh, he needs to stay in bed, Dan. He needs to stay at home. He needs to get back to full fitness and be ready for this war because war is coming in this season. And if you're not ready, you're going down. And right now, John Dutton is being a real stubborn son bitch who's going to end up getting killed. Yeah, look, I wouldn't be surprised to sort of to lose somebody this season. Like, I think it's such a high-intensity show. You just never know where it's going to go. And I think I'm kind of... 
you know, like it's great to watch a show like this every week, but this is a show that you just want to like watch over a weekend. Yeah. And I, I kind of just wish they'd drop it all for me just because I love it so much. I want to just like really like hunker down with it. And I just don't, I, am I going to get that same feeling with a week by week review? It, Who knows? It's interesting. Cause yeah, that's exactly how we watched it last time ourselves. We, we, we basically watched, you know, at our leisure and i did enjoy that just as i have been with you know like for all mankind or anything else and it's it's interesting the the weekly the weekly drop i did as we talked about with handmaid's tale i did really appreciate them dropping a couple rather than just one i think that seems to be a new trend i think that works really well because it does it does start off with such a big bang that you almost need that second that second episode is almost like a i don't know like a not a dessert i don't know what the the analogies i'm trying to make it but it's just something just to just to calm it a little bit because it did that second episode did um just drop the pace a little bit and i and i really enjoyed that episode too but this this first episode they just they tied up so many loose ends even before going to the opening credits and so i found myself almost taking you know catching my breath whilst those opening credits played out with the theme music for the first episode Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I also like in in episode two, and I think that's a good point. It did slow down quite a bit, but I also just like I think this is the joy of Yellowstone, right? Like it, it, it like it right, it gets your heart rate up, and then it drops you down, gets you calm. We're into the cowboy way. It's all chill. It's all beautiful scenery, and then we're high drama again. Yeah. And I really actually even enjoyed the relationship i guess between beth rip and carter their i guess their new adopted son and even just the way that that all played out like obviously beth rattlesnake but actually like still took still sort of like you know a a soft heart for a a soul in need and then rip equally kind of one of the hardest people you're ever going to meet but kind of guided a little bit by beth but beth doesn't interfere and sort of say hey look he's this kid he's his deal let's take him in she kind of like leads rip down this path of like he needs to work out for himself whether we're going to take him on and we'll work it out that's a really good show actually that whole everything you just said there because i really enjoyed that story too like the um i feel like in many respects rip beth and what's this carter this kid yeah i feel like in their own way they're a perfect little family in terms of where they've all come from and their and their backgrounds, and I'm pretty keen to see how that plays out because Rip is, and we've said this before, one of the greatest TV characters ever. As an actor, um, Cole Hauser has such amazing delivery of Rip's lines, such impatience. Everything is so black and white, and that was why, as you just pointed out, it was sort of so interesting how. He obviously has this internal struggle with the idea of Carter living with with him and Beth, and that sort of uh, it, it plays out and manifests itself in a very, very visible way in terms of you know he's he's literally processing everything as he's and he's reacting to his own his own thing. So like in sixty seconds, he's he's kicking him out of a moving vehicle pretty much, and then and then and driving off, and then he's reversing back. And so for Rip, it's interesting because he's so. Def- decisive and so confident normally but for this one he's not and that's really interesting to watch and he has got that soft that soft center like you said and i think there's something i think rip sees like carter and like it's sort of a younger vision of himself and i think yeah. the the thing that these actors have done so well is their characters are all damaged goods and that's what actually kind of binds them together and actually makes them stronger um look it's just it's such a great show i can't wait to watch more of it. I can't wait for Jamie to get his 
Beth is going to end up definitely killing him at some point, and it's not going to be a clean kill. I'm going to I'm going to see your prediction there because it seems that the obvious prediction, given what she said, in no uncertain terms, she, she's a, she's out of control. I'm going to predict Jamie's going to take her out, and that there's going to be a storyline that's going to evolve where then the entire Duttons are going after Jamie or something like that. I, I just feel like it seems so obvious to me that Beth is, as you said. Gonna, and that's what we're now expecting that I feel like the writers are going to twist that on us I'm fascinated to see where it goes there's so much else down we haven't even talked about and I guess we, we probably need to move on but I'll just quickly say um, Thomas Rainwater his his character like, I really enjoy I really hope that he comes away the the victor in, in the, in the storyline that focuses on him because him and John have had to sort of basically team up in terms of that whole enemy of my enemy is my friend and given the history that they've had it's fascinating to see and the the scenes with with him and his people and and what and the way he he describes what's happened you you really feel for them and and as much as we obviously love the show and we love watching these characters these Duttons they're you know they're not they're not all that great no, no. And I think it's kind of um, – it's an interesting topic, right? Like, you know, they're all about protecting the land. But, like, if you – you know, as they show on the TV show, whose land is it really? Like, it's not really the Dunham's land. And the way the way they kind of um, bring in that story, I think, is it, – it's good to kind of challenge the challenge the norm and challenge history and kind of get people thinking about this sort of stuff. A hundred percent. So these – these episodes are trending at 9.6 and 9.1. So I feel like this has set the bar very high for the season, but it is, you know, if we're a project manager and these are all of our little projects, this is the one that we know is always on track and is, is just going to deliver really good stuff. I have, I have every, every um, hope and expectation that it will continue in this trend. Mm-hmm. And that is available to watch in New Zealand on Neon, of course. Well, Paul, shall we head on over and talk about our movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. We watch it, and then seven days later, we review it right here on the podcast. We publish a week in advance in our Discord channel in the community there what movie we're going to watch. So if you click on the link in the show notes, you can have a look, join the Discord community, and uh, watch along with us. This week, Dan, where are we going? This week we watched the 2020 movie Greyhound, which you can find on Apple TV. And so the, the basic premise of this show is several months after the US entry into World War II, an inexperienced US Navy commander, played by Tom Hanks, must lead an allied convoy after being staked by a German submarine Wolfpack. So this is a movie that's kind of been on my watch list for pretty much ever since Apple TV first came out. And... I just haven't got around to it, so it was great now that you've got Apple TV to actually put this up as a as a movie that we could watch together. Um, I enjoyed this movie. I'm always been a bit of a fan of of World War Two um, movies, particularly when they've got like a, a really stellar cast. I I do wish the story was a little bit more edgy, but overall, I had a good time. How about yourself? I had a really, really good time watching this. Uh, there was there's so many positives for me. The runtime straight away, ninety minutes. I'm really because you and I both love a long movie. You know, we love a, you know our extended editions of Lord of the Rings and 
you know, just other movies that we talk about loving. But sometimes a good 90 minute, just short and sharp is really good. Um, there was something about the the format they used in this movie, the way they, the way they presented like the, the almost the vantage point that Tom Hanks character was how he was seeing things sort of going from side to side of the boat, desperately looking out either side of the, of the ship, the constant um, messaging and repeating of messaging and the absolute reliance on the people on the ship being able to accurately and, and very quickly relay that information. And it was, it was nonstop. It wasn't less like a, oh, they're showing us what it's like on a ship by doing it was from the very first moment to, to the end, back and forth, just messaging positions, coordinates. It was like a game of, you know, a classic, you know, they, you would say like a game of chess or cat, cat and mouse, whatever you want to call it. It was that tactical, um, tactical kind of film. It wasn't about the, again, it wasn't about the action. It was more about if you get something wrong, not only are you dead, but all the people you're out protecting in the fleet are dead. And and then the bigger picture, of course, is how does that influence the outcome of the actual the war? It was a fascinating, a fascinating angle to take. Because I, like you, love a war movie and I also love a submarine movie, and these two together. It was unlike it's not something I'd say very often about a, a war movie or a sub movie. It was unlike any other movie I've seen before in that respect. Yeah, look, it was um it was good, right? And I, I really there was, there was some scenes right with the uh, the the wolf pack, the, oh, yeah. the German submarines, where they were kind of like trolling trolling the boats, and particularly Tom Hanks' character. And I think one thing that Tom Hanks does really well, like he's such a seasoned actor, he's captained many a boat in his um, movie career. Is you, I always generally believe that he's actually he's new to this, and he's kind of like trying to get his head around it, and and I think. I was thinking about this um, movie while I was watching it that I just, they don't make jobs like this anymore, right? Like, imagine that pressure pull of having to make all those decisions. And as you've just mentioned, like, you've got all these lives that you're responsible for. You've kind of got, like, scattergun bitsy information. And you're having to make calls about, like, turn the boat this way, turn the boat this way, fire here, get rid of that, destroy that. Like, and you're having to do it in front of people with pretty minimal support, like, the world we live in nowadays, like you can see why, you know, probably that generation yeah. thinks it's a bit soft and a bit crazy, right? Because it's it's so intense and it's definitely not sustainable, but it's it's just amazing how it all probably played out. And I know this is obviously a movie that really dramatizes it, but I think some of these elements are, are pretty accurate. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and it's interesting because it does obviously dramatize it a bit. And this this movie was inspired. I think is the word by real events rather than specifically being a true story, but it's just not like, it's not quite a historical retelling, but for me it was very powerful. And, and and as you say, it's kind of, it tells that story because the people that join the armed forces, the military, the, the the Navy, and I have nothing but the the most respect for the, the job that they do. But of course, at a time of war, the people that got drafted in and you see them on the boat, on the ship, sorry. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, you know, they didn't choose that. They, you know, that that wasn't what they were expecting. It'd be like, you know, you and I with our, you know, <laughs> could you imagine that? I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I don't want to make light of it at all. It's, 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 it's quite, actually talking of not making light of it. And again, I'm not saying controversial, but, you know, as you say, the trolling from the, the Nazis, whenever we watch, well, 
the the movies that are presented f- from a Western perspective, perhaps, and the Allied forces are the good guys, the Nazis are the bad guys, and the sort of behavior that we saw in this movie with them being taunted and trolled um, and hunted by this, like, I do sometimes just wonder, is that entirely accurate? Were they all like that? Or is that what you were referring to before around that sort of that dramatization? Look, I, you know, I think there would have been a fair amount of that on both sides of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think in, in the Western world, we're very good at betraying ourselves as the, the heroes of the situation, but we have many atrocities yeah. at, at our hands that, that we're accountable for. So I imagine there's, there's, many, a, <laughs> there's many a dark tale to be told from the other side. Um, I think the, the other thing I sort of like, I, I thought was kind of fun was just Tom Hanks when he's like, Get me my coat, get me my slippers. And I was just like, this is great. Like, you're literally in the middle of a big battle when you're like, get me my slippers. And I was actually quite worried that when Tom Hanks' character, like after they sort of finished the big battle, when he finally got to go and get some rest, I was worried that he was going to, like when we saw him in his pajamas, he was actually going to be covered in blood, and because I, th- you know, he wasn't yeah, eating, yeah, yeah. and obviously that was because he was he was nervous. But I thought he was actually wounded or he was sick, and because you know, there's one point when he was shaking, and I was like, oh, he's been hit, and he's hiding it. That's why he's got the coat. Yeah. That's why he's trying to sort of like warm himself up. And I was kind of relieved to see that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, I had a similar thought actually. It was interesting every time the chef brought him any type of sustenance, from a basic sandwich to what looked like a really tasty looking meal. Actually, um, it meant trouble was literally about to hit every single time um mm. Stephen graham really good in this as well all right yeah another <laughs> i really appreciated the uh the scouser there thanks um uh he's just such a talent you know we've seen him in three things this year alone with line of duty sorry uh with uh with time uh with this um there's been other things we've seen him in previous years and he is. He was really effective in in his role. Elizabeth Shue in her brief role was really good. There was. It just the time flew by watching this. I feel like my 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 only complaint about this one was some of the special effects were a little obviously green screened in at times, but it didn't really bother me mm-hmm. too much because, as I said before, this wasn't a movie where it was about the action. It was about the the decisions being made, and you know, one turn to the left or one turn to the right could really kill you because these these boats. They can only move so fast. And actually, the, when the boat was moving in the water and it was like full hard rudder and, and all the rest of it, that that was really effective. I thought there's just so much. I would definitely consider this one for a, a rewatch. Yeah, no, I think even talking about it, it's kind of inspired me for a bit more of a rewatch. I think it's, um, yeah, no, this was a a good, fun movie. Um, fun, maybe is the wrong word, but a, it was a, a enjoyable war movie. And it was um, not... Like it was intense, but not too intense. And I think I, I'm with you on some of those special effects because I think one of the other things they did is they actually reused, I don't know if they did, but in my mind, they reused sort of a, a shot of the front of the, the boat kind of dipping into the waves and like getting smashed by way. And it, it kind of felt like we, every sort of like few minutes, they'd, they'd redo that scene for us and it didn't feel any different to the last time they used it. No, you're, you're correct. And the same with the uh, the subs that were hunting them. There, there were some very similar scenes being used. I did really appreciate, again, maybe the, 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 the dramatization and what have you, but every time the subs 
uh, emerge from the ocean and then dive back in the noise the musical noise was very much akin to like a whale song noise it was a very haunting type of noise each time these submarines came up out of the water and um yeah terrifying right Mm, terrifying well paul i think for me that's probably a Three guns akimbo. Yeah, 100% with you there. Fair score, three guns. Definitely worth the watch in 90 minutes. If you've got Apple TV, what are you waiting for? There's a lot of good things to get on Apple TV oh. and, I, you know, get amongst. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? What has been happening this week, Dan? Well, Paul, let's start with a little bit of a sad news. So Dean Stockwell of Quantum Leap um, has passed away at the age of 85. Yeah. Big loss. Oh. And 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 Battlestar as well. That, it was great in both of those for me. I just yeah, indeed, real sad. indeed that, that's a that, that's a good shout actually. Um, it's funny, eh? Like you, in my mind, some of these like actors and characters just sort of stay the same age. And it really, I'm like, oh, what do you mean they're dead? Like it's you know we talk about this all the time, yeah. but it makes me nervous for some of our other uh, favorite actors, yeah. particularly as we talk about them in their their peak performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, another bit of actually, this is another bit of sad news. So Patty Jenkins' Star Wars Rogue Squadron has been delayed indefinitely. I do not like that word, Paul. Indefinitely is not a word I ever enjoy when it comes to games, movies, TV shows. It's it's a real shame. One, because, you know, Patty Jenkins has, has delivered, you know, she's proven that she can direct at the, at, the, at the highest level. She's absolutely superb, and I was just dying to see what she would do with a star wars movie that's disappointing and secondly the of all the star wars things that have been announced when we talked about it you know months and months ago this was one of them that we we picked out as a real potential winner like a like a rogue one sort of like a they could really go to town with this movie and have some fun well she made a roller skating ad for this where she was roller yes, skating she got out of right. the car put her roller skates on talked about how her dad was a fighter pilot and that she loves rogue squadron and my heart is broken i need answers i need that indefinitely remedied and we need to know what's happening my initial thinking is i wonder whether because they're sort of thinking about where to next with the star wars universe i wonder whether rogue squadron might be too closely aligned with what's happening in the in the immediate ecosystem, uh, but I guess time will tell as we as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, could could well be. My my immediate thought was with the the way the world is and and uh, with COVID and, and what have you. They just want to say let's let's release this at a time when well I don't know if I dare even tempt fate, but when things are completely back to normal. I just wonder if that was it, but it's a shame. Who knows. Um, you know, Paul, we talk a little bit about the Vin Diesel slash Rock feud that they seem to be having. Mm-hmm. Um, Vin Diesel has come out and he said, he said to The Rock, Fast and the Furious 10, we need you. You've got to be there for us. So it looks like he's trying to maybe mend some bridges. And it's what's interesting is he's put this photo out on his Instagram. And I swear, Paul, he's made himself look bigger than The Rock. <laughs> like, like in a real jerk move, like it's kind of like it's like he's photoshopped the two of them together and he's talking to The Rock, but he's made The Rock look tiny and I think that's well played. But who knows? Let's see whether um, whether we get The Rock back for F10. Let's, let's just hope. Let's just hope. Speaking of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson has said he will no longer use real guns on set. Oh. So and I, I wonder whether this might actually be a bit of a, a shift on, on – 
obviously who knows what happens on, on Hollywood sets, but you can probably see more and more sort of, you know, movies and TV shows going this way. And I think what's interesting about it is, you know, in the, in the Rock's commentary, he's okay that they spend the extra money on special effects and all that type of thing, whatever they need to do. But that does come, this is going to sound really callous of me, but that does come with the cost of time, right? Like if you've got a, you know, let's take a movie like John Wick and there's like, you know, literally probably 80% of the movie is gunshots. That would be a lot of work, right, to, you know, that could delay a movie by a year plus. But, you know, safety first, I guess. So that's what is important. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, has halted filming after Letitia Wright has suffered an onset injury. So it looks like this movie has been put on hold until at least early 2022 um, until that recovery happens. So that's obviously going to further push out our Marvel timeline. There's some commentary coming out about the new um, Batman movie and they're using the words... This basically begins with Batman no better than a serial killer. Wow. I love that, Paul. You, you love that? I love it. I love that. <sighs> I think, look, I think for the bat, you know, you've, you've got to go dark before you go wholesome. And I think if they're truly going back to the, you know, like Batman year one, like in your, he's mm. full vigilante, right? Mm. Like he has to do some dark stuff before he realizes this isn't the way. Like we're not talking about the, you know, the 1960s TV show. Like this is... This is full bat. <laughs> this is full bat. That's a great, great expression. It's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I'm sure that's going to challenge a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then final final bit of news for me. Uh, Edgar Wright has already written a Baby Driver 2 script. Sign me up. I love Baby Driver. I, I want to see. I want this story to carry on. I want more. It was a fascinating movie. I think that my main takeaway from that movie was how they managed to time all of the the beats to what was happening in the action to the music that was playing. It was a uh, fascinating watch that. If I recall rightly, Paul, we saw that in the theatre together back in the normal back days. Back in the normal old days, we went to the Lighthouse Theatre in Patoni, Wellington. Correct. We yes, did indeed. We did. we did indeed. So that is all that's on my news desk. Anything for yourself? Uh, only a couple of things. You covered off the, the couple of things I did have there. Squid Game 2 is 100% uh coming and that's moving along quite quickly indiana jones 5 has resumed filming after harrison ford had had his his injury a wee while ago and the other thing i had was star trek prodigy has renewed for season two already and of course us lucky folk here in new zealand have seen none of season one because unlike the united states australia and other places where it's airing we have no news from 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 either um nickelodeon or amazon or paramount or anyone no one no one seems to know anything about when that show is going to air here in new zealand um that's my little rant over there other than that dan no all the other things you've already covered off what's in the mailbag this week this week so first up we have a quick update from from tony this is our, our east london listener who's been making his way back through the the back catalog of the half measures podcast um listeners who've been with us for a long time may recall episode 15 uh homeland made russia look cool and now i'm probably on an fbi watch list was the title of our podcast that came out in june 2020 um in that one we did a 
bit of a deep dive into one of the greatest US TV series, Homeland. Um, that review, Dan, was enough to inspire Tony. He has started watching Homeland. And I love that because, A, eight seasons of Homeland is a big commitment. And this is a heavy story. And uh, there was a B. Oh, yeah, B, you know, it's inspiring watches, inspiring rewatches is one of our three core objectives of the Half Measures business plan, if I recall rightly. That is correct. I actually sometimes on the poll just to do podcast planning live on air with our listeners listening, is that if we actually didn't do the news, we probably wouldn't really date these episodes. Like, you know, the date wouldn't matter, right? Because yeah. it's always about what to watch, but it's it's the news that kind of, you know, because we're at the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of the the movie, TV uh, scene that we, we report on it. The bleeding edge. Correct, correct. Um, what else do I have here? Oh, so... <laughs> Kim from Wellington, she, she said she listened to, to podcast episode 87, Red Light, Green Light, and she, she says she really enjoyed our review of Squirt Game, and she no longer feels like she needs to watch the series. She's happy enough with our review to satisfy her curiosity, so anyone else who's on the fence about going to watch Squirt Game, maybe just give our review a listen, that might be all you need. I think you find that copy of Squid Games like in an old school video store, but like behind some doors that you have to be over eighteen to go behind. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's this is. I'll tell the truth behind the story. This is someone uh, who works in my office, and and when she walked in, um, literally this morning, in fact, she, she said, "Oh, Paul, I just I just listened to your your review of," and she started making. She couldn't think of the name. And she started making hand gestures. So if you imagine someone squeezing on like a on an Ajax or window cleaner or Mister Muscle, it's like, "Oh, I just watched your uh, what is it, Squirt Games?" <laughs> it's just, yeah, I just found that absolutely hilarious, and I had it's amazing. I had to it's interesting, right? Eh? Because I I know a lot of people. I have actually appreciated talking about Squid Games so that they don't have to watch it, and because they're kind of interested in the the water cooler chat that happens around it, but they they don't necessarily want to watch a, a sadistic TV show for nine hours. Indeed, indeed. So, thanks for the feedback, Kim. Uh, apologies for just wrecking you on the on the pod. So, um, Dan, we have a recommendation. Um, this is from Anthony, who is based in Auckland. Now, she actually works in the film industry and has recommended uh, us a, a comedy called Sis. Now, the, the pilot series for Sis is available on Neon and Prime TV uh, here in New Zealand. And it's, it's about a group of um, Polynesian writers who are trying to create a new comedy show um, but they've got one big problem, and that is that their head writer is a racist. Um, so this is a comedy that's been described as a show about sort of a ride or die friendships and growing up. It's not any random recommendation either, because um, Anthony works as the she's the location manager for she worked as the location manager for season one of Sis. Season one hasn't even been released yet. Uh, it's just the pilot that's been. Uh, made available on Neon and Prime. So I'm definitely going to go check that out and we'll put the links up in our social media as well. But um, always appreciate good recommendations on the podcast. And we also had um, Bernadette from Wellington. She saw our Yellowstone promo on our Facebook page this week and she was very grateful because uh, it reminded her that Yellowstone was back. And 
so she has subsequently watched it like ourselves and she's now asked did we notice that john dutton looked younger than he did at the end of season three when he got shot and i i did notice did that. you because yeah she was saying his yeah. his hair was less gray and that they did a bad job with the makeup and that he looked 10 years younger i can't say i picked up on that it, it really bothered me actually i was like why does he look so young is it because he's like he's been in a coma and he's lost a bit of weight or <laughs> they've like trimmed off too much hair but i i had that same feeling i'm like oh, okay he looks younger but there was so much there's so much going on in that show that it was just kind of a momentary thought and not enough to to sully the experience okay i thought she was saying things there so there we go thanks bernadette looks like dan has confirmed that being shot uh is gonna you know make you look younger um what else have we got here so we've got um nat from tafanga nui atara uh he's catching up on our podcast too everyone's catching up on half measures dan he's he's a couple of episodes behind and so he's come in with a late peak performance suggestion for gwyneth paltrow um which was the talented mr ripley opposite matt damon and i haven't seen that since it came out but uh, i remember it was good so it's a pretty good shout Last week's peak performance was Woody Harrelson and we had Jason from Poirot went with True Detective. I seem to remember watching the first season of that and then I sort of dropped off after they changed the cast. Uh, Michael Chalmers, North Carolina, back again, 3-2-1. Edge of 17, The People versus Larry Flint and number one for him was Natural Born Killers. Uh, we had Chris from Germany, went with Cheers. And finally, we had Paddy from the Republic of Ireland, who went with a 3-2-1 of Zombieland, White Man Can't Jump, and his number one was War, the Planet of the Apes, and that is our mailbag. Very good recommendations in there, lots to kind of uh, dive into. Mm. Well, Paul, speaking of peak performances, it must be time for us to do this all over again. Indeed, so like the movie of the week. We take it in turns to choose someone, an actor, an actress, or a director or producer, and look back on their career and pick out what we think is their number one performance of all time. This week, Dan, it's taken us 90 episodes to get here, but we have gone with Harrison Ford. This is amazing, Paul, that we haven't done Harrison Ford to date. Like, it's it's crazy. So this is my turn this week. So I chose Harrison Ford, and this is because... I, he has come up a few times in my mind and I've never chosen him and I wanted to test the water on the theory as to why neither of us have ever chosen him because my theory is it's simply too obvious that his peak performance might be one of two roles that he's very famous for. So I thought, do you know what? Let's 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 let's, let's think about this. Let's really look at his career and I'll go first then. And I, okay. and I hate to disappoint, but I've proven my own theory. I have Han Solo as my honourable mention, and I have Indiana Jones as my peak performance. And to be honest, both of these characters, both of these characters are just beyond touching. They're, and in the hands of a lesser actor, they may have resulted in us living in a world where those characters are not as iconic as they are. I'm going to put you on the spot, and you have to name the movie that makes you define that for both Star Wars oh, and yeah. Indiana Sorry, Jones. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that's quite correct. In fact, I have written it down in my notes. So I had um, uh, A New Hope for 
Han Solo and I had Raiders of the Lost Ark for for Indiana Jones. Um, funnily enough, actually, when you walk into our house, there is a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster right in front of you and as you walk in the door there's all three star wars originally trilogy original trilogy posters on the on the left hand side it's literally the first thing you see so these these people from selections were never in doubt for me i grew up with these characters in the 80s and look despite all of the a lot of online hate i just think it was also a real gift that we got to have those characters back so recently with you know with force awakens and we're going to get him again in in indiana jones 5 i i tried i looked hard there were some things, but I I couldn't dislodge either. Yeah, look, I, I think that's a good shout because I really tried to sort of interrogate my memory um, of shows like uh, like the Jack Ryan series yeah, that he did, yeah, like the yeah. Clear and Present Danger, um, Air Force One. But I just it's I just can't put. There's, there's other movies that come above that. But I have gone slightly different from you. Um, I've actually gone with uh, 1982's Blade Runner um, oh, yeah. by Harrison Ford. And I just thought, you know, this is a a great, like, lead, like, you know, coming out of A New Hope, this is a great sort of leading sci-fi movie, like a classic sci-fi movie. And I think Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard is, is, is just fantastic. And I think all of Harrison Ford's traits and charms play out so well in this movie because he's always kind of annoyed right like he's kind of like he's i'm annoyed i have to do this movie like i'm annoyed like and he's kind of got that 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 great energy about him and i think it's and for me i went with a a new hope um from for my peak performance as well and again because i think this is such a you know this is I guess back then it wasn't a star-studded cast, but there's so many great characters in A New Hope, and they all do such a great job of kind of carving out their own piece of the universe. And Han Solo is just one of those characters that was instantly cool from the very first moment I saw him, and he's still cool to this day, and things like Indiana Jones and, and things like that. So I think for me, Blade Runner, and then A New Hope. Great choices. I'm so pleased that one of us broke the mould because Blade Runner is such a, a great movie, and it makes me immediately want to rewatch that and Blade Runner 2049 because I never did do those back to back and I feel like that would be really enjoyable as well there's so much in his career that's that's great and it's one of those things where we've talked about before just like how can he be turning 80 I mean it's it's absolutely incredible it's it's just be be safe out there be safe yeah yeah you're, you're fragile you're you're a treasure well paul that probably brings us to the end of another episode a very long episode of that of the half measures podcast it is indeed thank you for listening in this week thank you for making it all the way to the end if you did make it to the end don't forget to send us an email or a tweet with the uh with the with the special code word which is blade runner um and you may you may be in the running for a, a prize. It is the Christmas season coming up. So, um, so yeah, do drop us a note. Otherwise, again, thank you for listening. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, uh, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. If you would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. Um, but if you can't do that, feel free to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Tell a friend about us. We appreciate it all. But until next week, everyone, adios.